0: Good day. Good Saturday, April the 18th. My name is Joey Vendetta, and this is the Joey Vendetta Show. It is excellent to have you with us, whether you're in Vancouver, whether you're in Calgary, whether you're in Toronto, whether you're listening online, maybe you're in your car, perhaps you're at home. I always like to start the show with kind of the mandate. You know, what we're here for is to tell stories, to inform, to entertain, to be relatable with the audience. But under the current circumstances, we have to remember the important things, the very important things. Brothers and sisters, as I like to say, be there for each other, hold each other up, Don't let your fellow person fall. This is an unprecedented time. And it's a time where you can be in charge of the way you react, the way you treat people, the way you feel, the way you share, the way you communicate. Don't be shy. Don't be afraid. I guarantee you, we will see better days. We will come through this. We will be stronger. We'll be more grateful. We'll be more understanding. The world will be a better place. So no matter where you are right now, if you're deep in a hole, I guarantee you the sun will shine. And how's it going to shine? By being together, all of us, at all times, even when you're at your lowest. You've had your highs. You've had your lows. And remember, it's never as bad as you think it is. And maybe it's never as good as you think it is. But this world is our world. And together, we will get through this and make it an even better place. And with that, I'd like to start the program and let you know what's on it today. We will talk to Elizabeth Merrill from ESPN. She has written an excellent piece on the Chicago Bulls documentary. I'll call it the Michael Jordan documentary because it's really focusing on Michael Jordan and that last season when they won their sixth championship. It's called The Last Dance. And it premieres this weekend, tomorrow, in fact. That's on ESPN. Now, we'll be able to watch it in Canada on Netflix, unless, of course, you have some type of a satellite wired to the side of your head. So we'll be joined by Elizabeth in hour number three, Ryan Dempster, one of the funniest baseball players I've ever met. He's a good pal. He does an incredible Harry Carey impersonation. He's also a very good man. We'll talk some baseball and what he thinks the season may or may not look like if it comes to pass. We'll also be joined by Mary DePauli, chief marketing officer for the Royal Bank of Canada with the Canadian Open being canceled for this year, and it was going to be a big one. I was involved, actually, in booking some of the talent. We had Keith Urban and the Chainsmokers ready to go. Friday and Saturday was going to be the Chainsmokers Friday and Urban on Saturday, but you know what? Some bigger things happened, and we have to take a pause. Lee Steinberg, one of the greatest agents in the history of sports, and if you watch the movie Jerry Maguire, Lee Steinberg is basically the guy the movie was based on. So we'll talk to him as well. And Jay Grossman, another agent, will join us. He runs the puck agency. And he is a guy who has represented hockey players for a very long time. He negotiated that Ilya Kovalchuk 200 million year contract with the New Jersey Devils years ago. And that's when I got to know him. So we'll talk about that, and we'll be joined momentarily, hopefully, by Paul Bizanet, who I've gotten to be good friends with and I have a lot of respect for because it's not easy in life to reinvent yourself and come out better than you were before. And this guy's a fine example of it. So we'll talk to him in a second here. But again, a bunch of things to touch on. Sports are going to come back with no fans. We know that. So our question today and you can text us at 590-590. Or if you're in Vancouver or Calgary or Toronto, you can call us. 888 star 590 on your Rogers cell phone. But text us because you know I'm going to read them. You know the kind of guy I am. I love having listener involvement. I love having audience participation. And the question is very simple. Will you attend live events with no vaccine? That's simple. And what's your rationale? So we'll talk about that. We'll get to this Dustin Bufflin story. The WNBA draft happened last night. The NBA is withholding 25% of players' salaries. Von Miller has tested positive for COVID. He says he might have gotten it from his fish tank guy. He said he had a plumber and a fish tank guy at his house. We'll get into that, but we're joined now by a good man and a dear friend. Paul Bizanet, BizNasty 2.0 is on the program here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Biz, thanks for doing this. How are you today?
1: I mean, I was having a better time just listening to you speak. I might just hang on the line after we're done our interview. (laughs) You know what? I got to do
0: something. I got to do something during these times. How you been, man? How you you coping with all this? You're a guy. You can't sit still. You're always going. Uh, you, you You got everything going. How are you dealing with this?
1: You know, I mean, of course, it's been a little challenging for everyone, but I think when you put things into perspective and what, you know, what some people may be going through, I think it kind of, you know, makes you, it makes you kind of appreciate life and maybe appreciate things that we, we took for granted before this all happened. So um, for myself, you know, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm just transitioning. I mean, you mentioned it on the intro, transitioning into a new profession and, you know, out of something I did my entire life. So I think there's a lot of things that I need to work on personally And, uh, you know, and and so this is, uh, you know, this is time I'm going to use to try and do so.
0: So we're going to get into some of the things that happened in your career because you've had a really interesting career. And and as I said, I I have a lot of respect for people and I've gone through it because I was I was in radio first and then I ended up going into the concert business. And and I still do radio, but I kind of do both. But, you know, sometimes. We find as humans, and I think a lot of people right now, because they are so tied to their careers, they're so tied to their jobs and what they do every day, and most people don't have any kind of structure that they had before. And for example, look, there's people who have children who have to they have to homeschool their kids right now. They have to explain to their kids what's what's yeah. going on. I don't have, I can't even imagine that conversation. But oh my goodness, well, you the, the, can you imagine that convo? Eric, hey, you're not going to school anymore, well,
1: it, huh? Well, I mean, yeah, just I mean. I, I would probably be having a nervous breakdown if I had kids during this whole thing, not only to the parents out there, but how about the school teachers who have been able to kind of rally? And, and, you know, some of, some of them are even a little bit more old school where they're not very tech savvy. I mean, so now they've had to adapt and, and, you know, and get online in order to teach their classes. So um, my sister's a school teacher too. And, and, and from what I'm hearing right now, anyway, moving forward, is when school does come back in, they're planning on doing it where they're getting smaller blocks of kids for shorter periods of time throughout the day. Is that what you've been hearing as well?
0: Yeah, that's exactly what I've been hearing. So I just think, as you said, it puts a lot of pressure on them. And you know, the unsung oh, right. heroes, right? The unsung heroes, we're talk, we talk about the frontline workers, the doctors, the nurses, the EMTs, yeah. people in the grocery stores, you know, the city workers, those are the people that are, that are keeping us going right now. And they're out there risking their health. And you know, you hear all these different stories and you don't, you don't know who to believe, but you talk about your sister, being a teacher, and I want I want to go back to. I texted you when you were on hometown hockey on Roger's hometown hockey because I was really touched when they did that segment on you with your folks and and your mom Yoland, and and your dad Cam and your mother was a, an office administration professor at Niagara College, speaking of of, of schools for thirty years, and your old wow. man was a steel worker. Talk about your parents' influence on your career, your work ethic, and the kind of person that you are
1: yeah I, I wish i would have gotten my mother's brains uh <laughs> right. unfortunately that ohl education and and, my, and maybe my work ethic in the books didn't uh didn't help me but uh i would say just in general coming from Welland, ontario it's you know it's a small blue collar town my father was a steel mill worker um you know my mother was a hard worker as well of course you mentioned she taught at college she wrote a few books so I kind of just adapted that mentality where, you know, I, I found a dream in, in hockey and something I wanted to chase and, and just used the, really the work ethic. And, and even on the second part of my career, like I'll be the first one to tell you as a player, like eventually getting to the NHL level, of course you have to have some level of skill, but compared to, to, to these NHL stars, it is these world-class players. They're just on a different level, right? So fortunately for me, at least at the time, their fighting was still relevant, but a lot of people don't remember. Like, I wasn't drafted as that, so I kind of had to adapt, and I guess that kind of goes back to the work ethic where it's like, hey, do you just want to keep doing what you've been doing your whole life, or do you want to take the time and energy and and maybe self-sacrifice in order to adapt to a different role where there will be some difficult duties associated to that, which, which fighting, as I mentioned, and and I think because of my upbringing and things that were instilled in me, I was willing to to make those sacrifices. And now, like I mean, people are probably listening and like, well, sacrifice. You ended know, up making to the NHL, yeah. But it, you know, there there were things that needed to be done in order to get there. And, and I, I was fortunate to get there. And I think it does lead back, of course, to the to the work ethic that was instilled in me by my parents.
0: If you're just joining us our our guest is Paul Bizinet, better known to some people as Biznasty 2.0 and and I and I I want to touch upon the kind of having a couple of identities because I I deal with that because I have a real name and then I have my radio identity and I definitely don't yeah, behave the same way both, sure. both times but but I want I want to talk to you about something that you just mentioned that I think was re- really interesting you said that when when you got to the NHL, you weren't drafted to be a fighter and fighting was still relevant then, but you, you had to morph into that to stay in the league. What's that conversation like, or is it inferred by the coaches or are you pulled aside? How do you know that that becomes your role?
1: It, it was some weird times. I, myself and management in Pittsburgh weren't necessarily getting along and I was a bit of a punk early on and you know, looking back, I would have definitely changed some things, but things happened for a reason, of course. And, uh, you know, I went down to the ECHL, and I just really wasn't happy with my role in the organization. And then um, it, it, it was kind of just presented to me. It wasn't really necessarily talked about where I got called up from the ECHL where I'd been a two-time ECHL All-Star defenseman, right? So, obviously, there was something there as a D-man. And I got called up. Uh, in my I believe the third year of my entry level contract and I was slotted on the fourth line on the left side and I think the writing was on the wall there and I just kind of was like you know what I you know I, I don't mind mixing it up I enjoy sticking up for my teammates I didn't do it on a, a, a you know consistently regular basis before that because I was actually lugging some ice time and it, I remember my first game, it was in Philly. I challenged a couple of guys on their team, and, and they, it, you know, I, I got the chirps back, hey, you're more of a liability on the ice than, than, than me fighting you and going to penalty box, so we're going to let you play. Because <laughs> I was a defenseman, right? So, like, this guy's playing forward now. He must be terrible. So, but that year, I think I ended up finishing the, the season with, like, 29 fights. And, and Joey, I was, getting, I was getting the wheels beat off me. Like, hey, John Nasty, Marasty, Uh, Jeremy Oblonsky, Brandon Sugden, like there were some guys down there who were just killers and I was, I was getting smoked and I mentioned the personal sacrifice. It wasn't fun. There was a lot of anxiety associated to it. um, Like days, nights before games and days of games when I was playing against these guys. Yeah, I was, I was, I was, I was fearful.
0: You know what man you you hit the nail on the head he, he, it's gladiator the movie gladiator that's what it is and i've talked to enough guys and you know them th- you've had them on your show but we talked the guys that are no longer with us guys like wade belak and and and, and you know the guys like bugard who, who i was friends with and these yeah. are big big tough guys but you just you just you just revealed something that i don't think a lot of people realize when you're getting ready for that game the night before and you know that you are probably going to have to fight the team's tough guy and that's your role i talked to Bugard about yeah it. this guy's six foot nine 260 pounds and he told me that he was afraid before a game because he knew that he was going to have to fight and he would be
1: at center ice yeah. fighting somebody and he didn't want to do it and listen some guys some guys are able to do it i mean i remember talking to ty Domi on our podcast and he was like, no, nope. he goes, I, you know, I didn't really think much of it. I was, you know, excited to get in there and, and throw. And I'm like, holy gee, that. I mean, it would have been nice to have that motor. And, and I'll say this is early on when I told you I made that switch with really out having, uh, with, with really without having the conversation, excuse me, is I noticed that how appreciative the teammates were, that you were the guy where, you know, somebody ran them that you were willing to stick your neck out for them. And that positive reinforcement from not only like the coaching staff, but management, and, and guys being like, oh God, it's so nice having a guy around where I don't really necessarily have to worry about that. I can just worry about playing. And I mean, even fast forwarding to when we went our Calder Cup in Manchester, we had this um, uh, Sabron from, from Ottawa, he was an up and comer. Yeah. He was on the fourth line with us. We had Josh Gratton and me in the American League so our first three lines were like this is awesome nobody's gonna come near us and 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 and, you know and you talk to them and that's when i'm kind of like oh i guess i did kind of have a role i did make them feel more comfortable on the ice that's kind of cool you know because i didn't have a point in playoffs that year but they made me feel just as welcome as if i did
0: when did you get comfortable in your own skin in that type of a role was there a moment where you realized that what you just described
1: I don't think I ever really got comfortable. I think I think it, you know it, you, you have a lot of uh, you know a lot of back and forth in your own head. I think I was very uh, I think I was more grateful that as I made it to the NHL, I believe my first year I might have had 19 fights. I was in that range, but because I didn't play as much, I would play about 50 percent of the time. You'd have to also get matched up with another fighter on the other team, so there was a chance that that wasn't happening. So I think by my last season, I might have gotten like four or six fights. So fighting was on the decline throughout my NHL career. And that's probably why after my time in Arizona, I wasn't able to get another contract. I wasn't, you know, I was a borderline guy and then all of a sudden fighting isn't relevant. There might as well give that opportunity to, you know, to maybe a skill guy who'd want to develop as a depth player and he can maybe add to the penalty kill. So my role kind of got pushed out and, like I'm, I'm forever grateful that I got to play five and a half years. I'm, I'm very grateful that that period in time, it was fighting was still somewhat relevant.
0: Yeah, but you ended up playing in in Manchester, as you said, and then you guys won. You won the Calder, and and you had a a, a good end to your career. But as you were reaching the end and you realized that fighting was on decline, did that, did that induce a different kind of worry in you, wondering what you were going to do afterward? Or did you, did you kind of know that you would gravitate towards the media thing? Because it almost seemed, it seemed to me that it kind of happened by accident, right? You were on Twitter, you got all these followers, then you went off for a while, you were told to get off. Can you give everybody kind of the background on how the biz nasty persona developed?
1: Well, um, I would say when I didn't get an NHL contract after my last year with the Coyotes, I, I ended up going through a little bit of depression uh, right before I ended up signing with their farm team, which then I got cut from, but then I signed with Manchester. It was, it was a big-time reality check where all of a sudden something you'd been doing your entire life was now, you know, potentially going to be taken from you. And without uh, – I knew I could have probably hopped into media at somewhere you know, just because I'd been fortunate enough to gain a, a, a social media following. Now, that doesn't tell you you necessarily have talent on the media side. I just was fortunate enough where people were probably willing to take a risk on that, which, you know, Coyotes did. But, you know, I, I wasn't ready to stop playing hockey. So, I, you know, I, I, I was fortunate where I, I took some time away from social media in my last couple of years. And there's a little funny story behind that because when I got and snipped from Arizona's farm team, you know, I call, I reached out to my old coach, Mike Stuthers, and, and Feuda, who was in L.A. And I said, mm-hmm. "Hey, I said, you know, I'm I'm a bit of in a bad place. I think I could help your your line, your uh, your roster in Manchester." So they ended up calling Dean Lombardi, and Dean Lombardi's like, "Absolutely, but tell him one thing: stay the fir- off of Twitter." Mm-hmm. So I was basically <laughs> like, "Absolutely, you know, like that. My social media, I could care less about it because I want to. I, I still want to play. So I, I took a break really." I hopped in, like, you know, chimed in every now and then, but it was good. And then after that, I was finally ready to, to to take a dive into media. And, you know, I took some risks. I've I've failed at a few things. I've been successful at a few things. But I think you could speak on, on behalf of, of really any entertainers. You know, we're just trying to entertain our audience and, and bring people joy, whether how small or big that is. Yeah, and look,
0: you, you've done a fantastic job. I, I I've been... There since kind of I won't say the beginning, but I'd have you on the radio early on because you always had that personality. But where did the biz nasty character persona come from? You're mostly yourself, right? That's the great thing about you. The really good personalities don't don't act like anybody. You're just who you are. But how did that happen?
1: Okay, well, if you kind of asked that in the question before, the whole nickname came about from a teammate, uh, Stephen Dixon, when we were playing in Wilkes Barre. So that's just a short answer where. He, 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 when I started fighting, he would be like, "You nasty bees, you bees nasty," and the whole room laughed. Like everybody thought it was the funniest thing, and I was like, "Oh, okay. Like I'll, I'll I don't know, I'm biz nasty. Okay, I'll take it." And I kind of ran with it. Now, mind you, I'm 35 years old now, and that's my nickname. Like, I, if you're listening, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not clueless. I know it's douchey, and, and I you know as a 55 year old, if you know if, if kids are calling me biz nasty, it's a little odd. It's you know I'm not going to lie, but I guess I got to stick with it till till the media career is over. Oh, uh, we well, uh, listen. I call you I call you Biz.
0: But I call you Paul because I've known you for so long. But I want to ask you before before we let you go a couple more questions here. You were talking about fighting. Who was yeah. the toughest toughest fight you've ever had? That the guy that you were I won't say afraid, but there was some trepidation.
1: Oh well, I mean you mentioned a few. Rest in peace. Um, you know to Bugard and, and, and Beale. Those are. Those were some some guys who could do damage, you know. And and I, you know, I I, I didn't end up fighting either of them. Um, another guy, Colt Nor, I avoided. They're, like, you know, the the internet wasn't like super super popular back then, so you would hear these stories about Colt Nor that he had like metal in his fists and his face, like he was some you know Terminator or some shit. You know, <laughs> I hope. I, if, yeah, sorry if I swore there. I don't know if it's that's okay. Uh, we we'll got it I'm off network. <laughs> Yeah, give me a little, give me a little, uh, (laughs) but that was the guy that I dodged. um, I mean, who, who, who were some other guys that were just very, very scary, like DJ King. These are the guys that would, yeah. Like when they, when they coiled and threw a punch, DJ King would punch to, to hit the back of your skull. So he was committing to his punch where I was. I mean, I'll even rip myself. I I did a lot of jersey jabbing. I didn't stand in there. Those are the types of guys where you're like, just just please, like, let me get out of this one. Make it look like I somewhat gave up an effort and, and just, you know, allow me not to break my jaw.
0: Okay, and what's the greatest name for a hockey team that you played for? You played for the Penguins. You played for the Attack. You played for the Coyotes. But for me, the name Nailers, for some reason, I like.
1: Yeah, the Wheeling Nailers. I mean, come on. And it's funny that you bring up the ECHL thing because, um, you know, the ECHL was where I first started my professional career. And, and, you know, it was a league that means a lot to me just because of the silly stories that would happen. Like our, our, our team bus breaking down and then the boosters getting off their bus that was following us and us taking the booster bus and just like little silly things like that, which make you really appreciate what you have when you get to the NHL level so you know they unfortunately their league ended up shutting down first because you know they have to pay for the players rent and they're not making the type of money that nhl and ahl teams are so we actually started an uh, echl player relief fund to help out the guys who you know they're making 400 bucks a week 500 bucks a week some of them have families and you know i think a lot of people are in need right now so i wanted to give back to a league that uh You know did a lot for me and a lot of the stories i talk about on the podcast generate from uh from the jungle so uh check it out i think the echl uh website has something um you know i think i was hoping as a podcast that hopefully we can get over a hundred thousand dollars for the guys so they can you know pay for the summer training and and, you know maybe climb up the the ranks and, and make it to the nhl one day
0: you know what it's great that you that you always remember where you came from and that you support people and and before we let you go can you give people some advice right now as we're in this time where people are bored, they're looking for things to do. They may be questioning a lot of different things in terms of uh, their life and the way the world is right now. What's, what's your advice to people right now?
1: Oh, I mean, uh, taking advice from biz, Jesus, be careful. It's a loaded Um, question. Like I said, just, just, just try to spend a little time on yourself, get the things done that you normally wouldn't have gotten done and, and, yeah, I, I, I always think it's okay to question things and maybe do some research on it. So, um, yeah, just work, work on yourself. Like, for me, like, I, I stopped drinking, and, and, of course, now that this is going on, it was probably a wise decision, um, you know, and just try to exercise. Maybe get outside, just keep your, your distance and listen to professionals. not Listen to professionals, not me. There's your advice.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So as a guy that hasn't worn a pair of pants other than track pants for the last month, have you been wearing pants with buttons and zippers or you've been going with track pants?
1: I threw on a pair of jeans once since this all happened. So I was pretty spooked out early on. Like I was like, Arizona was like, kind of like, what? there's like 10 cases here. Like chill out where I was, I was inside for probably when, when everybody else started like, when when Italy shut down, I was like, I'm staying in my place. I'm just going to stay out of everybody's way.
0: Biz, thanks for doing this. Paul Bizanet, continued success. And I really appreciate your time. And, and again, I'm so happy to see everything that's happened for you and nothing but but the good things for you in the future. Thanks a lot, pal.
1: Yeah, and, and just because we mentioned the other two, uh, Ripon, uh, you know, of course, he was one of the guys that we lost uh, to a mental health battle. So, uh, just, you know, I figured we should mention all three.
0: Yeah, well, God bless them all, pal. And we'll talk to you soon yep. and be safe and continued success. Okay, Paul? You too. Thanks for having me on, pal. Always, always a pleasure to have this guy on the show, Paul Bizonette, BizNasty 2.0. But as you can hear, he's a real person. He's a real human being with a soul and a heart. Yeah, sure, he's got his persona. You hear him on the podcast and Spitting Chicklets. But, you know, as he said, he's not shy to talk about the fact that he had his doubts. He went through his anxiety. He's a human being. And that's what we're about here, talking to people about their human experiences. Coming up this hour, we will take your calls. We'll take your texts at 590 590 590 star 590 on your Rogers cell phone. It looks like we're going to get golf back. And in Spain and Germany, we're going to get soccer back. It's going to be without fans. The question is simple. Will you attend live events with no vaccine? Would you be willing to go to a live event with no vaccine. We're going to take the break. We'll come back and we'll talk to a man that negotiated one of the richest contracts in NHL history when we return on the Joey Vendetta show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. It is Joey Vendetta back here on the Sportsnet Radio Network. 650 in the Couve, 960 in Calgary, and 590 in Toronto. And of course, online, you can listen on the Radio Player app, or you can pick it up on your favorite radio station website. Still to come this hour, we are going to take your text, your opinion, your takes, your thoughts. And what are your thoughts on? Would you go to a sporting event or any live event without a vaccine? We're going to see soccer in the next month. I talked to a buddy of mine who works for Real Madrid, and he says they are going to play soccer in the next month. We know there's going to be golf with no fans. Bundesliga is going to play as well. There's baseball in Korea right now with cutouts, with their sponsor. Sponsor cutouts, who knows? Maybe that's the wave of the future. Are you willing to go to a live event with other people next to you with no vaccine? That'll be the next segment, but we'll give you a little bit of a teaser. David in Waterdown says, yes, 100% I'd go to a live event without a vaccine. My whole life has been live concerts, and I'm going stir crazy without them. So again, texts, 590-590 590-590 from anywhere on the planet. Or you can call us and we'll put you on the radio. 888 star 590 on your Rogers cell phone. We're joined now by a longtime friend, a true professional, one of the top hockey agents in the National Hockey League, and he represents players in many other leagues. From the puck agency, it's our man, Jay Grossman, Jay, thank you very much for being here. How are you today?
2: Uh, it's a pleasure, Joey. As always, um, I'm doing well. It's uh, these are challenging and interesting times, to say the least.
0: Yeah, so so if you're doing well. Yeah, I'm doing okay. Where are you where are you hold up right now? Where are you spending your time?
2: I'm actually in Massachusetts right now. Um, and uh, I also spend a lot of time in New York, and um, obviously up and down the coast here has been uh, has been hit pretty hard um, by the coronavirus. So
0: challenging were, times. Were you were you in New York when this first happened, and got out of New York? How did it play? Or were you in Massachusetts the whole time?
2: Yeah, no, I've been in Massachusetts the whole time, and uh, fortunately. Um, where I am so far, the, the the virus has been kept to a minimum. A lot of people practicing appropriately. They're, they're social distancing. The governor um, has been out in front of this. Although uh, Massachusetts is a week or two behind New York in terms of in terms of where the timeline is at. So it would be interesting to see how this next week or two unfolds.
0: Okay, so let's get into a discussion that. I've read the story, and I'm sure you've seen the story. The New Hampshire governor, which is reasonably close to where you are, says that there have been discussions with the National Hockey League about potential neutral site games in the state of New Hampshire. As it stands right now, the season got suspended over a month ago, and we have games that are not going to be played and playoff games that may not be played. What are your thoughts on neutral site games and games with no fans to finish out the season?
2: Well, it's interesting. I think it's an incredible challenge. I think it's a really difficult uh, terrain for, for the decision makers who really haven't had to deal with anything like this. I mean, this is outside the purview of what normally would be the case. Um, having said that, I think that, that sports obviously fills a huge void um as your your uh person that sent in the the question about live concerts in the same vein and in terms of the fact of of this you know holding an important place in in entertaining people on a daily basis and and you know i i don't know about you but i find it difficult to turn on you know the tv and there's nothing to watch and 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 there's nothing to really get too excited about so so hopefully uh i think that that clearly we need to think outside the box I mean, clearly there's areas that are less affected that may be more appropriate, um, to put players. I think there are challenges and all that. I think the precautions that need to be taken for everybody that's involved to me, that would be important and critical. Um, we don't seem to have the testing and I think that's, that's a huge issue. Um, and in terms of how this can unfold, Uh, Like I said, it's a huge challenge, but but I'm hopeful that it could be done.
0: So it's believed that if the NHL was able to return in this form, that it would need to happen at several neutral sites. Because I don't know that there's one neutral site that works based on logistics. As you just described, it would be very difficult. Players would have to be isolated, get tested regularly. They'd have to practice distancing and all the support staff would have to practice the same thing. And and the governor said it would be an interesting opportunity for New Hampshire. We've heard North Dakota floated. Do you see this, if it does come to pass, that it would have to be in a bunch of different neutral sites? Because I I can't see this logistically working in only a couple of neutral sites. You would have to have at least five or six neutral sites for it to work.
2: Uh, I don't know about that. I I think that... That if you look at having a 16 a team tournament, for example, um, you know, I, I think it'd be feasible to have eight teams in two different sites um, and play out the playoffs that way. Uh, I think it'll have to be in locations like the ones you mentioned because obviously, uh, for example, in LA where you're from, that doesn't seem to be feasible. I mean, they're talking about a shutdown of live events through the end of the calendar year. So, I think by necessity, um, the league, the NHL, and, and other leagues obviously are going to have to find alternative venues.
0: Yeah, I don't. I think that what we what we're looking at here is what what they're going to do in Spain, as as the mayor of Madrid said on Saturday. And I spoke to a friend of mine that works for Real Madrid. They are definitely going to be playing games. And Spain has been one of the hardest hit countries with more than one hundred ninety thousand confirmed cases only behind the U.S., more than 20,000 have died in Spain as well. So it's not like Spain is is a place where, where they've had limited exposure to this. It's been devastating for Spain. So to see them willing to resume soccer play just shows you how important it is. The league has said that the total losses for not finishing the season because of the pandemic could be a billion euros, which is a heck of a lot of money. And if they resume with matches in empty stadiums, it would be $300 million, which just goes to show you how valuable those TV contracts are. I, I gotta ask you as far as the, the salary cap issue, because I've been hearing all kinds of different theories floated. I spoke to Brian Burke on the air here a couple of days ago, and it's something that I hadn't really even thought about. If the season doesn't get played, if the rest of the regular season does not get played, and for some reason the playoffs don't get get played and and Gary Bettman has said, they're willing to go deep into the summer to get the playoffs in that's going to wreak havoc on the salary cap for next year, isn't it?
2: Well, for sure it is. I mean, they're talking about a billion-dollar loss if the games don't go on. And surely this is an economic decision. I think there's a couple things to be said about this. One is um, this is an occurrence that that is really through no fault of anyone, including the players. And so, you know, the real challenge here is to come out of this with um as it is maybe for anybody sitting at home and listening is to to evaluate the situation and 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 look at it as an opportunity to make um intelligent choices as best you can under the circumstances i think um the nhl being tri- primarily a gate driven league with a potential for a lucrative television contract on the horizon Uh, it's time to sit down and and think about this um, in terms of what are the more appropriate revenues that could fit within the marketplace. For example, could there be, you know, a streaming package through Amazon or Netflix, which are companies that are clearly benefiting from the environment. I mean, they've both, you know, hit all time high stock prices. And so perhaps the league fits in differently Uh, I don't think there's any question that there's a marketplace. There's a market for this. It's just trying to figure out with precautions and safety for everybody that's involved. um, The best, obviously, including the players, including the fans, including the coaches, the officials, anybody who's involved. Um, But I think there's a tremendous opportunity, too, in the sense that, um, sports can fill that void, and it's it's a pretty necessary one at this point.
0: So I have to ask this question, because Burke brought this up, and I want to get your perspective, because you're an agent. You negotiate co- contracts. Now, of course, Brian ran teams. He worked at the league, and now he's, he's a broadcaster with Sportsnet. He says that he thinks the salary cap, if the season does not get played out, is going to get cut in half, and players are going to have to take massive pay cuts. What do you say to that?
3: Well...
2: I, I, I think that that's um, I think that's misplaced, and I love Berkey, but I think that that uh, that's off base. I think that there's going to have to be a formula here that that comes to fruition that takes into account what's happened here, and you know a transitional plan through the next whatever it may be, two or three or four years. Um, until the world hopefully gets back on its feet. If, if the world doesn't get back on its feet, then we're going to have a whole lot of other problems mm-hmm. that are going to be probably more important than all this. But, but the reality of it is um, creating a framework that works for everybody. Um, I think that that from what I understand, the league is, is more open to, to creating that framework. I think it's going to be necessary that the players and the league are on the same page going forward um, in order to, to hopefully take advantage of, you know, I I mean, everybody's going to have to make choices here. And the reality of it is it's going to require that, that leadership that's in place, make good choices. I think that there's some sports that are going to benefit in terms of the way they present uh, their games to the public. And I think that there's other sports that may, you know, take a back seat to all this and and you know this is a this is a this is a critical juncture in where we are in the world and making the best possible decisions um that's what leadership is
0: jay grossman is our guest national hockey league agent runs the puck agency jay before we let you go you brought up something about the way sports are presented and some sports will take a back seat some will benefit some will explode based on this if they get back early enough Golf is going to come back without fans. As I said, soccer is going to come back without fans. You've already got baseball being played in Korea with with mannequins, which I find kind of an interesting sponsorship opportunity anyway. I don't know if you saw the footage of it, but it was interesting. What does hockey need to do, in your opinion, when it comes back differently, if anything, as far as the presentation goes?
2: Well, first of all, I, 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 uh, I've received some interesting marketing proposals on behalf of our players, and I – I think we need to be really careful. I mean, I I don't think that that for hockey that that you know NASCAR type uh, sponsorship is 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 really what's necessary. I think it's more important to think about the big picture. And I'd go back to that to the, the idea of perhaps creating a subscription themed um, you know presentation. Uh, clearly, the individual sports are going to have um they're they're going to be ahead of the game. I mean, tennis. You know, it doesn't take much to have one player on one side of the court and another player on the other side of the court, and keep your distance. Um, Team sports are going to have a little bit more of a challenge, and when you get a lot of players in a in a tight environment, you're going to have to provide those precautions to keep everybody safe. But in terms of the ultimate presentation, I I think that obviously, you know, whether it's whether it's here in the U.S. or throughout canada you you know hockey is a a compelling uh, of compelling interest and and i think that in terms of how it gets rolled out uh i think there's some elements of it that and there's some fans that will tune on tune in and tune on to it no matter what but i also feel that it's important that the right decisions be made in terms of how it's presented
0: and before we let you go, what are your clients saying as far as resum- resumption of the season? What what are your play? You don't have to name any players, but what's the general feeling from your clients as far as where we are and the potential of the season restarting?
2: Well, I think everybody thinks that they're, they're, they're concerned about th- that there's the appropriate level of integrity to it all. And I think that um, players are, you know, if they're thrust into playing in the summer, which is not normal, it's not a- about giving up their summer. It's more about you know, are the games going to be played out in a way that that, um, and I'm sure that the that the league and the players' association is is totally cognizant of of the fact that there needs to be valid integrity to the games that are played. Um, I think that can be done without fans. I think it can be done for a television audience, um, but I, I don't um, I don't say that the decisions that people need to make here are easy. And I think in a fluid environment as this is um it may take time to to sort through all that and to put it in the best framework
0: jay thanks for your time we appreciate it as always i hope everything is okay with your goats on the farm are the goats okay (laughs)
2: uh the goats died a couple years ago but we're Uh. we're still on the farm and we're (laughs) we're keeping things going you stay safe there (laughs)
0: All right, we'll talk to you soon. That is Jay Grossman, National Hockey League agent, runs the Puck Agency. We're going to take a break here on the Joey Vendetta Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network and come back with your texts, your tweets, and your thoughts. Does a hazmat suit cut it? What would it take for you to go to a live event? Do you need a vaccine or not? We'll discuss when we return on Sportsnet. It's Vendetta on the Sportsnet radio network nationally across Canada and, of course, online. You can listen anywhere you like. We're here for your convenience. Hour number three. We are going to have some more fine content, as they call it. I hate that word, by the way. Elizabeth Merrill, ESPN writer, wrote a great piece on a wide receiver named Jerry Judy who's going to be – In the draft, the National Football League draft that, of course, is happening next week on Thursday. Last night was the WNBA draft. Bianca Ionescu going first overall. And you kind of got a preview of what it's going to be like to watch the NFL draft. It was virtual. WNBA sent hats and all kinds of paraphernalia to different draftees' homes that they could wear when they were chosen. It was as good as you could expect it to be. So, like I said, we'll chat about that in hour number three. And also Ryan Dempster, pinched a bunch of years in Major League Baseball, get his take on what's going on with baseball. The Korean Baseball League, they're playing games. And they have mannequins in the stands. Yes. It's pretty entertaining to look at the mannequins. They were sponsored. I enjoyed it. But then again, I love a good mannequin. I've had incredible relationships with several. As well, we will get to hour number two coming up next. Talk to Mary Depauli. She's the CMO of RBC. Talk about the Canadian Open. It's canceled. Do you know the Canadian Open is the third oldest golf event? What are the other two? What are the two oldest golf events? Can you guess? You can hit me on Twitter at Radio Vendetta, and I, of course, will read your tweets. Lee Steinberg, the super agent. Jerry Maguire. Yeah, the movie was about him, or based on him, loosely. Read a couple of texts right now at 590, 590 on whether you would go to a sporting event or any live event without a vaccine. Let's go to David in Toronto. Of course, we want to hear from you. If you're in Calgary, you're in Vancouver. David says, love listening to the biz nasty. His perspective is raw and uncluttered. B, I'd have no problem going to events without an existing vaccine. I've been delivering food all this time. And there's a few in the pipeline that will be closer to existence by the time things start getting back to almost normal. Plus, David says, he misses partying, which, of course, is a very high priority. And let's see. We got Gary and Woodbridge. Start sports now. We need it for our mental health. First golf, very safe. Then tennis. Singles, very safe. Even doubles with precautions. Then baseball, I would go. Seat every second row at every second seat within the rows, except people who live together can sit together. It's all quite feasible and safe. Makes a lot of sense. We're going to take the break, and we're going to come back with a gentleman that is putting on an online seminar, and you can learn how to perhaps fulfill your dreams through this seminar. We'll discuss when we return on the Sportsnet Radio Network. It is Vendetta. We're back nationally across Canada, Vancouver, Calgary, Toronto, and, of course, online on the Radio Player app or on your favorite website. And, of course, the podcast will be up. If you missed part of the show, you can listen to the podcast. You can download it anywhere that you get your podcast. You can subscribe. You can rate. Yes, there are a couple of reviews on there. Are actually pretty good. Still to come. On the program, we will speak to Elizabeth Merrill about the NFL draft and specifically a draftee out of Alabama, I believe, named Jerry Judy, and it's a pretty interesting story. We'll get to Ryan Dempster, Major League Baseball ex-pitcher and pretty funny guy, and maybe talk about this story. I don't know if you saw this story or heard the story. The best play-by-play person for a porn site? Well, Joe Buck got offered a million bucks to do it. He turned it down. So maybe we can get Ryan Dempster to do his Harry Carey and maybe calling an adult film session. Of course, we're on the radio, so we're going to have to use our imagination a little bit. We'll talk about the Canadian Open this hour with RBC CMO Mary DiPaoli. Of course, the Canadian Open has been canceled. We'll find out what the details are and what their plans are for the Open going forward. But now it is my pleasure to welcome a guy who I've had on the radio a bunch of times in He is one of the truly great sports agents of all time. You can follow him on Twitter, Lee Steinberg. Welcome to the program, Lee. Thanks a lot for doing this. How are you today?
3: I'm just
4: peachy, Joey. How are you?
0: You know what, Lee? Under the circumstances, I'm happy to be healthy. I'm happy to be talking to you and have great listeners who enjoy the program and have been very engaged today. And um, first off, before we talk about the current climate and and the NFL draft, of course, you've represented some of the biggest players, most well-known players in NFL history, the agent Academy. That's something that you've had ongoing for several years has gone virtual now under the current circumstances. Talk about the agent Academy and what it does, what it's done in the past and some of the past agent academies and, and how you're going virtual to meet the needs of potential students under the current circumstances?
4: So, Joy, we put a program together to meet the need for the thousands of young people that are trying to break into a career in sports and to teach them ethics and values and also to give them specific skill sets. So we've run a sports career conference, which has an hour where you listen to broadcasters and media people, it's an hour for working for a team, a league, a conference, a athletic department, it's an hour, sports marketing and branding and sports entrepreneurship and charity. And then there's a mentoring hour. So we've scheduled nine of these across the country. The other sp- a program we run is an agent academy. And we're doing a virtual one on Monday and Tuesday, and you could go to skybridgesports.com and find it. I mean, if you're tired of watching uh, the 12 episodes of Tiger King on Netflix or Stranger Things, (laughs) this is some brand-new content. And we get the participants up and, and doing an actual recruit of an actual athlete, Uh, And then they have to negotiate a contract, half of them play general managers, half of them play player agents. They have to do damage control on a particularly uh, misbehaving athlete. They have to set up a charitable foundation. So um, we're trying it virtually to adapt to the times and uh, we're basically sold out, but we probably have a few spots left and, uh, and then keep, Keep your eye on this as it moves around the country. But the, but the goal is to mentor the next generation of sports professionals.
0: So it's it's Monday, April the 20th, and Tuesday, April the 21st, and there are a bunch of things on the agenda, including some of the things you you just described. But one of the things that I find particularly interesting are the 10 core tenets of negotiation. Now, I don't expect you to give us all of them, but give us a couple of negotiating tenets from Lee Steinberg. and things that you've used over the course of your very successful career?
4: You know, I wrote a book on the 12 essential steps of negotiations called Winning with Integrity, How to Get What You Want Without Losing Your Soul Sometime Back. The first key is listening skills. It's the ability to look at another person, draw them out, figure out what their values and priorities are, and try to get your head into their head and your heart into their heart and see the world the way the other uh, person sees it. And so that you can truly understand how to craft a win-win negotiation. It's not always talking. It's being able to understand individually who that person is, what that situation is. Second tenet is research, which is to go in depth for everything you can. If it's a football team if it's a car market if it's uh, uh, buying a house if it's negotiating where you're going on vacation but whatever it is have the information uh so that that you're able to quickly reference it and then prioritize because everything can't be as important as everything else so you really need to know what the core um uh, what the core values are that you have but what the core agenda items are that you want to get accomplished and prioritize them so that you're able to to do that one thing also i say is be comfortable with silence so if you've said everything you have to say you don't need to be blurting out things Uh, young men can turn old uh, spring can turn to summer but if you've said everything you want to say that's enough
0: so lee you've you've made quite a comeback and it's been a while since you've made that comeback but in a time where people need inspiration, in a time where people are going through tough times, where they've reached perhaps a bottom in their life on a certain level, it's something that you've gone through and you haven't been shy in talking about it. And, you know, you have clients like Patrick Mahomes now, and there was a point in your career where you represented pretty much every of the, of the every one of the top athletes, whether it was in boxing, whether it was in football and basketball, you had an incredible client list, but you... You kind of lost everything and you built yourself back up. Could you share some of that insight with our listeners?
4: Sure. I struggled with alcohol and it was not anything in work. It was a number of issues in my personal life, family tragedies. And um, so the key is if you're out there and you're struggling and you're depressed and you're hopeless because of something involving a substance, um, have hope because there's a unique uh, fellowship out there. There are 12 step programs. And, uh, I think the key is resilience. Life will push you back, but then the question is, can you rise again? Um, uh, can you go into the, uh, barn filled with defecation and think somehow there's a, a pony in there <laughs> somewhere? Can you see the light at the end of the tunnel? So, um, you know, I just celebrated 10 years of continuous sobriety, but, um, you know, it's not just me having the comeback. The real comeback was being a good father to my kids and um, and uh, maintaining continuous sobriety. But um, it's it's not just me who's made this happen. It's Chris Cabot, my um, younger agent, who's been fabulous. We have a great VP of media, Julia Farron, my son, Matt Steinberg. So it's a group effort, and uh, we have... If you want to represent football players, there are three things you can do that are really exciting. The first is have a quarterback uh, be MVP and win the Super Bowl, and, and that happened this year. And then have a high draft pick that's a quarterback in the draft, and, and we have that with Tua. And then we had our eleventh player going to the Hall of Fame. So um, if both Tua and Jerry Judy get drafted, that'll be sixty-four first-round draft picks for me. So. And this is my 46th draft, so it's my favorite day of the year.
0: So there's so much to talk about with you, but you just brought up Jerry Judy, and I'm going to have a woman by the name of Elizabeth Merrill from ESPN who wrote a great piece on Jerry Judy, who is going to be a very high draft choice. And you just mentioned that Jerry Judy is a client of yours, along with Tua Tugavailoa, who we'll get to in a second there. But tell the Jerry Judy story. This guy is another guy who has had incredible adversity in his life, and yet has risen above it.
4: Well, why don't we let Elizabeth tell the story? But what I will tell you is that um, Jerry Judy, as a player, is the most precise route runner I've seen come out of college in years. She runs discipline, crisp routes, and then explodes after uh, the ball. And um, what really endeared... In, in Uh, him to me was that we were at the super bowl and i introduced him to jerry rice so um most players in that situation would just sort of sit and have their photo taken and the rest of it but he asked jerry what is it that you think was the key contributing to your uh autonomy and your longevity in this sport what were the tips you could give me what were the things you did in training And so that was pretty, uh, uh, you saw someone with a real desire to get better and achieve. And so that impressed me. But I think he'll, he's probably the most ready to start of any of the wide receivers in the draft.
0: You talk about Patrick Mahomes winning the Super Bowl last year, winning MVP. He's your client. What was that feeling like for you?
4: It really is transcendent. Um, It's such a a blessing, and because the ultimate aspiration of every player in the NFL is to win the Super Bowl, and for the quarterback to take his team there, it's special. And they had to engineer three comebacks. (laughs) In one of the games I saw in the playoffs, they're down 24 points, uh, 24 nothing. So, um, what? Mahomes had in that situation was, again, resilience. In adversity, you've thrown a couple of interceptions. The crowd is starting to boo. The team center is looking at you like you're on hallucinogens. Um, The game's getting out of hand. Now what do you do? Can you compartmentalize, adopt a quiet mind, and in that critical moment, elevate your level of play? And Patrick is so grounded and so in the moment. Um, it's remarkable, really, for someone that young.
0: So you've got Joe Burrow, the presumptive number one in the NFL draft. that's coming up on Thursday, the virtual draft. I don't want to get your take on how you think that's going to unfold. But tell us about Tua Tugavailoa, who's had a, a greater body of work overall, but sustained an injury, and there's some mystery with regards to how he's come back from that injury with teams. Tell us about Tua. We know he's a winner, but tell us about the virtues of Tua Tugavailoa as as an athlete.
4: So what you have with him is someone with pinpoint accuracy. People have compared him to Drew Brees. You know, he set the all-time record for passing rating. He threw 81 uh, touchdown passes and 17 interceptions. He uh, has pinpoint accuracy. He's got great footwork. He's uh, comfortable in the pocket. He's got a strong arm. Um, And he's charismatic. He has the ability to, to lead a team. His health is just fine. The two doctors who have uh, treated him most closely, the University of Alabama doctor and the surgeon, Chip Rout, who worked on him in Houston, uh, give him a clean bill of health and say there's nothing to suspect there'll be a recurrence. So now you focus on who he is. And the hardest thing, Joey, to fill in contemporary football is the franchise quarterback position. Because without that player that you can win – and build your team around for 10 to 12 years. When, because of rather than with, without that key player in a quarterback-centric league, uh, it's very difficult to get to and through the playoffs and to the Super Bowl. So he's all that. And when you look past the fact he wasn't, you know, injured hand gliding at uh, Club Med, you know, uh, he doesn't he doesn't play the sport of badminton. You know, it's not uh, croquet or chess. It's uh, players get injured, and uh, but he's young and healthy, and he'll have a great career.
0: Okay, a couple more questions before we let you go. And again, we appreciate your your time. Again, our guest is Lee Steinberg, arguably the greatest sports agent of all time. His list of clients, including in the, on the NFL side, anyway, Troy Aikman, also another Super Bowl MVP, Warren Moon played a long time in the CFL, but of course, incredibly successful overall. Howie Long, Thurman Thomas, and a ton more. Tell me, what. give me a situation that would be the most difficult situation. You don't have to name the player, but give me a situation that was very difficult for you to deal with as an agent and how you handled that situation. Because you're putting on this virtual, you know, the Lee Steinberg, the the, the virtual opportunity for fans to, if somebody wants to learn how to be an agent, you know, you can go to the Lee Steinberg Agent Academy. And, and again, you can go to Steinberg Sports to find out more. But Lee, tell us how you dealt with a situation that was particularly difficult and what that situation was?
4: Well, I think the most difficult situations are having players at the end of their career. And um, they've had concussions. They've had other problems. And now the question is, do they continue playing? They have all the money in the world. They have strong family situations. They've done the planning for second career. But here's the thing. I've rarely ever met anyone who willingly walked away from pro football. Even if they've achieved everything, they miss the competitiveness. They miss the um, ability to have rapport and uh, camaraderie with the other players. They've had this structure their whole life. So one of the most difficult situations is – advising a player when it's time to hang them up. And um, you you, you look at the situation where players go off into the sunset, and it seems graceful, but um, I can tell you I've had a number of quarterbacks retire, and they want to play again. (laughs) And uh, it's probably not healthy for them to play. So that's um, a difficult situation. Um, It was very tough for us when we had a quarterback named Ryan Leaf who was struggling with uh, all sorts of behavioral problems because you try to get that player as much help as you can. I mean, it's easy to represent the role models. And as you know, we ask all the players to go back to the high school, college, and professional uh, community and set up charitable and community programs. It's easy with them. But what happens when you have someone who goes into a shell proceeds away you try to get him all the help you can and and it just doesn't work it's very very taxing and difficult that's why we do a damage control exercise
0: lee before we let you go you've been the agent for the very first pick in the draft, a record eight times. Your career achievements have included representing 62 first-round picks, 150 Pro Pro Bowl players. You've raised over $750 million for charities worldwide, which is incredible. Your Super Bowl Bowl party is pretty legendary. Talk about the movie, Jerry Maguire, and you were shadowed by Cameron Crowe for a really long time in the making of that movie. Walk us through that process and what you ended up seeing uh, on screen, and was it what you had expected?
4: So the writer director Cameron Crowe called me up in 1993 and asked if he could follow me around to pick up atmosphere for a film that would involve a sports agent as a central character. And he started following me. It was like a fly on the wall. We went everywhere to the draft in 93 where I had Drew Bledsoe as the first pick. He went to a a pro scouting day at USC. He came to the league meetings where I was showing off, uh, free agents Uh, that year he came to series of games he uh, went out to dinner with me with some owners and general managers and I told him stories lots and lots of stories so we sort of agreed not to talk about which parts of that found their way up on the screen but then my job was to be technical advisor and so it was to vet the script to make sure that the willing suspension of disbelief that makes sure you stay in the plot in a movie, and you're not, you don't think the dialogue's phony, you don't think that the look is impossible, didn't get broken. And then he assigned me some actors like Cuba Gidden Jr., who plays Rod Tidwell in the uh, in the film, and I took him down to the Super Bowl and made him pretend he was a wide receiver all week, and he had to hang mm-hmm. with our other wide receivers actually showed the quarterback played by Jerry O'Connell how to throw a spiral because he had gone to NYU, and they didn't have a football program there. So um, it's been interesting. I haven't walked through an airport for the last 20 years or been out to dinner very long where someone doesn't run up to the table and say those four words you're asking me to say it that start with, show me.
0: Yeah, the money. And I'm friends with Cuba Gooding Jr. Having lived in L.A. for 20 years, we played hockey together. And, you know, a guy who won an Academy Award for that role. So whatever you did, it worked out pretty well. Final question before I, before I let you go, Lee. What's the NFL draft going to look like on Thursday? It's virtual. There's a charity component. We know the NFL draft has been about the about the players, it goes without saying. But the pomp and circumstance and the families and being a pick and the excitement. It's going to be different. What do you think it's going to be like?
4: I think it'll be fine because the reality is that, that it's only like 25 players that actually would go back to the draft, and um, most of the players are at home. So, for example, in 2016, Paxton Lynch, who was a first-round draft pick with Denver, stayed at home in Deltona, Florida, and had a big party there because he could involve a whole lot of his friends. Patrick Mahomes in 2017 did not go to the draft. He had a big party in Tyler, Texas. I mean, Miles Garrett, who was the first pick, didn't go to the draft. So I think it will you'll still be in the living rooms and front rooms of people through the cameras, and um, draft time, Joey, is not real time. It's water torture time. Every second while a team is waiting to pick seems like a minute. Every minute seems like an hour. Rip, rip, rip. And the tension ratchets up and ratchets up because here you have a young person who's since Pop Warner been dreaming about this and his family's around him and it gets tenser and tenser and then, bam, in this moment of exultant joy, Uh, uh, it's really a rush. So um, I think they'll draft fine too because um, when I started in 1975 uh, with Steve the first pick in the draft, the draft was in January. And all those years preceding it, they had game film, they had all-star games, and that was it. They didn't have a scouting combine. And we've done a statistical abstract and been able to show the 1975 draft without pro scouting days, without a combine, produce just as many good players as did the 2005 draft. So you get to the point where there's an overemphasis on analytics, and a guy runs a 4-3-40, boom, he's in the first round. Can he catch the ball? I don't know. Can he <laughs> guard anyone? I don't know. Um, does he have a good work ethic? Who knows? Um, so I think they'll do just fine because the best predictor of future success is past success and that's in the game film
0: Lee you were great as usual we always appreciate your insight we appreciate your time and most importantly we appreciate your spirit and sharing that with everyone please give Chris Cabot my best and again continued success and and what you're doing for people and spreading your message of of hope and the fact that no matter where you are in life you can bounce back and recover and come back bigger and better than ever. You are living proof of that. So thank you very much for taking the time. Thanks, and good luck on the show. All right, my man, Lee Steinberg, the greatest sports agent of all time. That's Jerry Maguire you just heard, folks. We're going to take the break. We're going to come back, and we're going to discuss how sports come back from this current situation. What's it going to look like? Well, one event has been canceled, and it's in a sport where a bunch of events have been scheduled we'll discuss when we return on the sportsnet radio network it is the joey vendetta show and welcome to it we're halfway through still to come in hour number three we will chat with elizabeth merrill from espn she wrote a really nice piece on jerry judy who's a client of Lee Steinberg's, who was just on the show. And we'll get into the story of Jerry Judy, a really inspirational story. And we're looking for good stories. So feel free to text them in, 590-590. We have a bunch. We're going to read your text, so hang tight. If you're in Vancouver, Calgary, Toronto, or anywhere else in the world, we will be happy to read your text talking about. The question today is a pretty simple question. Will you attend live events with no vaccine? We know there's going to be soccer. The Bundesliga is starting up in Spain, Real Madrid. I talked to a buddy of mine there. He said they're starting up. The report came out today. The mayor of Madrid said there's going to be games in the next month with no fans. And the Korean Baseball League started up. And they, of course, have mannequins in the stands with sponsors' names on them, which I thought was kind of funny and kind of cool. Which brings us to our next guest the Chief Marketing Officer and EVP for the Royal Bank of Canada, who are major partners on a bunch of sporting events, amateur and professional, and the RBC Canadian Open, which is the third oldest event on the PGA Tour schedule behind the British Open and the US Open. It's my pleasure to welcome Mary DePauli, who's not only a very nice lady, a very smart lady, but she bakes a mean set of muffins and no slouch in the kitchen when it comes to lasagna. Mary, thanks for doing this. (laughs) How are
5: you? Hey, Joey. I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me on the show.
0: Yeah, yeah, of course. So I want to start off with the 2020 RBC Canadian Open. Of course, one of the jewels of this country's sports calendar has been canceled. And we know why it's been canceled because of the current circumstances. And the PGA Tour announced the cancellation of the tournament on Thursday as part of their revamped 2020 schedule. It was supposed to begin June 11th at St. George's Golf and Country Club in Toronto. And Golf Canada and the partners are apparently now in negotiations to use the same venue for the 2021 edition of the championship. But tell us about the scenario where you guys had to come to this decision. What was the timeline? And are there any repercussions in your mind going forward?
5: Yeah, of course. And and you know, I mean, th- this week there were you know, there were some bittersweet days there for us as a as a sponsor of both the RBC Canadian Open but also the RBC Heritage Tournament and in a perfect world both tournaments would have proceeded, but um you know, this this is a very different world than the one we knew just a couple of months ago. In terms of the process, you know, we spoke daily to the PGA Tour in the hopes that there would be an opportunity for both tournaments to proceed obviously with with modifications for health and safety which are the two things that that are sitting above any other consideration but ultimately you know we we had to make sure that communities were protected players were protected fans were protected and um and ultimately with the canadian open in particular it was the international travel restrictions quarantine measures that just forced us to a decision that was practical, but um, but certainly a bit of a heartbreaker.
0: Okay, so you've got the Colonial. The director of the Colonial says being the first PGA tournament back tour event back is going to be scary. Right, the PGA Tour is aiming to return to action without fans at Colonial Country Club on June the 11th. And the director of the Charles Schwab Challenge feels the pressure to make sure that they, they do it right. The guy's name is Michael Toth and said, it's scary, it's daunting because I want to make sure we do it right. And you're on one side of the razor's edge of having the opportunity to come back to sports, regain life a little bit, watch some golf, be outside, host, host the best players in the world. Why were they able to come to that decision and you guys came to, to the decision that you did? What, what's the difference between the two?
5: Well, so we actually sit on both sides of that argument. So on the Canadian Open, um, it you know, the additional considerations were the international travel restrictions and quarantine measures. But for the RBC Heritage, we are, in fact, the tournament that immediately follows the Charles Schwab tournament that you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. You know, look, I think expectations are going to be very high around safety and testing and screening and physical distancing on the tour's revised schedule. So, you know, we all know there is risk and it's going to have to be well controlled and very thoughtfully planned because there are hundreds of people that are involved in these tournaments. You know, I thought our good friend uh, Ian Leggett and and also Bob Weeks from TSN, they made some very thoughtful observations last night in a couple of articles that they were part of about the return of golf as a live event even though it's a broadcast-only event and no fans will be present, and they're lucky, you know, they're one of the few sports that can accommodate physical distancing because they're outdoors and they're in large spaces where you can be widely distributed. Even though it's stripped down of fans and grandstands and hospitality, it still needs hundreds of people, players, caddies, volunteers, operation staff, greens crews, security, medical, catering, And so it won't be easy for the PGA Tour, but I do know this. I mean, Commissioner Jay Monaghan and his team, they're very thoughtful, and they would not have reintroduced the sport of golf if they didn't think that they could take all the precautions required and follow all of the CDC protocols and local state and federal authority protocols to actually see this through. You know, but honestly, Joey, we will... We will have to take this a week at a time and, and make sure that uh, it's it's being done the right way. Mary
0: the is our guest. She's the CMO for RBC. And, of course, they are the title sponsor for the Canadian Open and obviously involved in a bunch of other events on, on the amateur side and also on the professional side, as you hear. Now, look, the Canadian Open has been canceled, but the PGA Tour hopes to resume play this summer, laid out a pretty ambitious plan to redo, re, resume the season on Thursday, starting at the at the Colonial on June the 11th, as we discussed. How do you think it's going to differ, and do you think not having a gallery, not having fans, is going to impact the way these these events are going to be perceived?
5: You know, I, I think it will be interesting to see the first few, and, and I believe that we're going to Modify and pivot and, and perfect these live events, whether it's soccer or golf or any other sport that over time eventually becomes part of a broadcast only event. You know, w- will it look a little different? Of course. I mean, you know, you mentioned earlier mannequins in, in stadiums across Asia, but, you know, I, I think we're all going to have to adjust to what a live event looks like. I mean, I can tell you this. People are, you know, they're home and they're craving live sports, and and so I think, you know, we will we will take a bit of a change in what the um, in what the presentation looks like to a fan, just to have the ability to be entertained again with the things that we're passionate about.
0: And how has this incredible turn of events in our lives is the only way to describe it? We've gone, as you said, j- just over a month ago. Yeah things were somewhat normal it's it's only been a month but yet it seems like years how's this impacted you from a perspective of marketing in terms of the other events that you're involved in the olympics and, and any other events that that RBC supports
5: yeah, it's it's a great question. You know, we we support so many different types of events. You know, you you mentioned the Olympics and, and golf, but you know, you you've been a big part of our entry into live music with our Live Nation partnership. We have Tiff in September. We have so many different support of of performing arts and emerging artists and and you know the team right now is working with every one of those partners to evaluate every property end to end and just make the right decisions based on on the information that we have in front of us and all the different considerations around the properties i mean in some cases we can defer you know so the olympics and i i really applaud the Canadian Olympic Committee and the Canadian Paralympic Committee for being leaders on that on the world stage. In some cases you can pivot these properties like Heritage getting a new date. Um, in some cases you can transform. So we're seeing so much great work around art and music being digitally streamed. I mean that's terrific but sadly in some cases you just have to be pragmatic and, and cancel things. and. Unfortunately, the RBC Canadian Open and some of the concerts that were planned to date are examples of that. But you know, the, the team and I talk every day, and and we you know we remind ourselves this pandemic is so much bigger than sport. It's so much bigger than music or live events, and and we have to remember to keep that in mind. But you know, I will also say that you know it's it's these events that that bring people together too because they. You know, they they build a sense of belonging. They unite us. They build community. They humanize us, and we will all need that again when it's safe to do so. So we're we're encouraged by the point that one day we can all come back together again as fans.
0: Mary, thanks a lot for doing this. We appreciate it, and I was looking forward to the the catering at the Canadian Open because there was rumor that you were going to actually be cooking but I'm unfortunately (laughs) disappointed now that 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 won't be happening. And again, thank you very much for being on the program and, and supporting all the events that you guys do. And hopefully we get to see the Canadian open back bigger, better than ever again at St. George's next year. Thanks a lot for doing this.
5: Anytime, Joey. Thank you so much.
0: That is Mary DePauli. She's the chief marketing officer for RBC and the Canadian open. And as you heard, you know, they've got their heritage classic that's going to happen, but, Pulling off the Canadian Open logistically, a lot more difficult. International travel, that in and of itself had to be one of the factors that helped them arrive at the decision they did. We're going to take the break and we're asking you a simple question What would it take for you to go back to live events? Do you need a vaccine? Do you have to have a vaccine before you go back to events with thousands of people next to you? There's a ton of text coming in. The text line's 590-590. Text us. I'll read it. Vancouver, Calgary, we want to hear from you. Toronto, we want to hear from you as well. The phone lines are open if you want to jump on the air with me. 888-666-0590. Star 590 on your Rogers cell phone. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It'll be up about a half hour after the show ends. And, of course, you can rate it. You can put your comments on there. But more importantly, just subscribe to it if you missed anything on the show. We're going to take your thoughts, your texts, your tweets, again, at Radio Vendetta on Twitter. When we return on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Hour number two rolls on here on the Vendetta Show, Sportsnet Radio Network, across Canada, in Calgary, in Vancouver, in Toronto, and of course, all over the world, online. We love being all over it here. question is very simple, and you can text us at 590-590. Will you go to a sporting event or a concert or any live event with a large group of people? Those people may be getting sweaty. Those people may be sneezing. Will you go to an event without a vaccine? It's a simple question. Ken in Calgary says, hey, Joey, all it would take for me to attend an event tonight is an event to go to. If I get Wuhan, I get Wuhan. I don't live in fear of catching the flu, cold, or cancer. You can't fully live a life if you live it in fear. Ken in Calgary makes a great point that I know is shared by many. Do you want to live your whole life in fear? Now, we don't have a choice right now. You don't have a choice right now. You can't go to anything. I mean, you get shamed now. I don't know if you've noticed this, but if you go somewhere to see somebody right now, if you get in your car and you go see a relative that you know hasn't been out, somebody old, an older person, in my case, I go see my dad. My dad hasn't been out in a month. Neither have I. I don't come in contact with people when I go out to the grocery store. I wear a mask. I wear gloves. I do everything you're supposed to do. My dad's 86 years old. He's been through it. He lived through World War II. He had Nazis living in his house in southern Italy. He went to USC, the University of Southern Calabria. But all I'm saying is you get shamed for it now. What do you mean? What are you doing? Where are you going? Because now everyone has become the cops. Everyone has become an authority on COVID. You're not an authority, okay? Just just because you watch TV doesn't make you an authority. Just because you listen to the news doesn't make you an authority. But what would it take for you to go to a sporting event? I know I would go. Tonight, if there was a game, if there was a hockey game, if the Flames were playing, the Canucks were playing, Leafs are playing, I'm in any of those cities, I'm going. Tom from Barrie texts us at 590, 590. Great interview with Lee Steinberg. The questions were great. It says, I really don't think I will attend any live events anytime in the near future, mainly because it is a perfect breeding ground if there's no vaccine. Pretty simple. Mike from Pickering, I'd go to a live sports event tomorrow. Let's go. Would you go to a sports event? Would you go to a concert? Would you go to any live event? Triple A, We want to hear from you. As I said, I have no problem going to an event. I don't. I would go. How bored are you? Do you want to see events on TV? You want to see sports, Right. Are you going to watch golf when it comes back? Are you going to watch Are you going to watch soccer from Spain when Real Madrid and Barcelona and Sevilla start playing again amongst others? Atletico Madrid? Well, the mayor of Madrid, Jose Luis Martinez Almeida, by the way, why do these dudes always have seven names with hyphens? How come you can't just be Jose Almeida or Luis Martinez? Now I'm one to talk. I got about 16 names. Good thing is, when the authorities are looking for me, they got no shot. So it's a simple question Will you go to a sporting event or a concert? Mike from Pickering says I'd go to a live sports event tomorrow. Let's go. Another texter writes in. Tam in Cambridge says, I'm a PSW. My job is to take care of the elderly. Live events are off the table for me until it's safe out there. If you could hook me up with some great seats in my living room for a live musical benefit event, I would definitely donate to that worthy cause. Well, there's one going on tonight with Global Citizen where a ton of massive artists are going to be performing from all over the world. Gary and Woodbridge says about wrapping a blue screen for digital broadcasting around the stadium and fill it with Zoom followers. Now, that would be interesting. If you have the world's biggest Zoom, everyone's been doing Zoom calls. We did one last night with the guys I play hockey with. I play pickup hockey with a group of guys. Guys' wives were coming into the picture. Not that I have a problem with that. I don't have one of those, but maybe one day. Their kids are coming in the picture. They got bad internet. People are drinking. And then you get to see all manner of the disaster that their living room is. I don't feel so bad about mine now. Zoom calls great for your self-esteem. Just roll a Zoom call with about 20 of your friends. You won't feel so bad about your life. Something I want to mention here that a story that happened this week. Turn our attention to is the Roy Halladay report that came out. Now, Sportsnet has been showing old Blue Jay games. And Roy Halladay, of course, posthumously had his number honored. So there's a a 13-page report that came out. And I'm going to bring this back around to kind of what people are going through right now you might be going through some some issues right we're sitting at home you can't go out you feel trapped you have no release other than exercise and take it from someone who's been wearing track pants for the last who knows how long and the most exercise i am getting is getting up to go to the fridge and even that i'm getting tired i might need oxygen We're all going through a little bit of a challenging time. Now we have to rise above it. We have to try to be positive. We have to be supportive of others. They have to support us. You have to be positive, though. You got to try at least. But I understand if you're struggling. Hey, I struggle. We all do. We're all human. And there's no better example of that than the report that was released on how Roy Halliday died. He had high levels of amphetamine and other prescription drugs in his system when he crashed off the Florida coast in 2017. It's already been that long. It seems like it was yesterday. It was November 7, 2017. So the National Transport- Transportation Safety Board says on Wednesday that he had 10 times the generally recommended level of amphetamine in his system. I didn't know there was a recommended level of amphetamine, but okay. He was on antidepressants. He had muscle relaxants in there, a sleep aid, morphine, which is an opioid, and he lost control of the plane and crashed nose first into the water. He was struggling. I mean, I feel for his wife having to read this. I feel for fans of the Blue Jays, having to listen to this. But it does illustrate that even people that reach great heights, whatever you may think those are, they have to deal with their SH you-know-what. And he was flying low, right? He was stunt flying on a plane that he probably shouldn't have been doing that. So who knows what his judgment was if he even had any. There's going to be a final report in the next few weeks, but, you know, this guy was an eight-time All-Star. Won two Cy Youngs. He was elected by the baseball writers to the Hall of Fame. Posthumously. Last time that happened was Roberto Clemente, who also died in a plane crash when he was 38. Now, he died on a humanitarian mission, of course. But to hear that Roy wasn't perfect isn't a revelation. You know, his wife said at the time, We're all imperfect, flawed in one way or another. We all struggle, but with hard work, humility, and dedication, imperfect people can still have perfect moments. I think that is a phenomenal quote. It's one that resonates with me. I hope it resonates with you. We're not perfect but we can have moments of bliss and joy and happiness. And you try and string a bunch of those together as much as you possibly can. And that is worth living for at all times. We're going to take the break. Hour number three is coming up. Don't forget, you can text us at five ninety five ninety, And you know I'm going to read it. I love it. I love when you text in. I love when you're a part of the show. Again, five ninety, five ninety. Would you go to a sporting event without a vaccine? Would you go to any live event? Hour number three is coming up, and we've got more great guests. We'll talk about a very inspiring story that will play out in the NFL draft that happens Thursday. And we'll be joined next by a man who's Canadian, pitched in the major leagues and does a mean impersonation of a legendary Chicago broadcaster. When we come back on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, we're back. Got some angry people texting me at 590-590. Hmm. What are they saying? Well, they're saying that I'm irresponsible because I'm suggesting people go to events without a vaccine. Well, there are no events. It's irresponsible to have, be having this conversation as you're going to inspire people to be defined in other aspects of their life. Thanks, idiot. Mike from Innisfil. Thanks, Mike. It's the nicest thing anyone said to me all day. Thanks to our guests who've been on the program already today. Some fine guests, indeed. Paul Bizanet, BizNasty 2.0, fine hockey player, the host of Spit and Chicklets, Jay Grossman, NHL agent, Lee Steinberg, super agent. And Mary Depauli, the CMO of RBC in the Canadian Open. And we're joined now, before we take more of your texts, saying really nice things to me, by an old pal, Ryan Dempster, joins us now at Dempster46 on Twitter, host of Off the Mound, 2013 World Series champ, MLB Network analyst, and a laughing enthusiast, and the husband, and the father of four kids. Ryan, thanks a lot for doing this. How are you, my man? I'm doing great, Joe. Good to catch up with you, man. How's life? Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while. How are you doing? How, is, how are you and the family doing? Where are you right now? Where are you guys exercising all the proper social behavior that we know you are?
6: Yeah, we are, we are actually in uh, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, not Switzerland. I've confused a few people with that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are, uh, yeah, we've been up here for a month now. It's like an hour and a half uh, north of our home in Chicago and just rented a place up here and it's been uh it's been nice to be able to uh get out of the house a little bit we got a big backyard where they can play wiffle ball and soccer and we got find a fun bunch of bushes in the back where they've been hiking and my girls tracked a deer a couple deer yesterday which was pretty cool so um yeah we're, we're doing our best to stay safe and stay away from people
0: so lake geneva is a place that's that's A tourist destination specifically for people i guess in the illinois area and the wisconsin area describe lake geneva for someone who hasn't been there
6: yeah it's i mean it's beautiful it's uh you know this this gorgeous lake kind of um like i said about an hour and a half northwest of chicago and um you know you get especially in the summertime you just get you know spectacular days out on the lake and all these beautiful homes right on right on the lake we're uh we're just kind of up off the other side of the road, the main road that runs around the lake. And um, even these places up here, the, you know, the community that we're in is it's just beautiful. It's a, a good place to get away. Like I said, we have deer. We've had fox running through the backyard. and um you got woods and golf courses and um, just kind of peace and quiet compared to living in the city and getting out of the, the hustle and bustle of the city of Chicago. And it's, it's definitely a destination getaway for a lot of people. A lot of people have second homes up here.
0: What's Chicago like before you got out of there? I have a couple of buddies there who told me that you know Michigan Avenue is completely boarded up. They're worried about looters. That it's gotten extremely weird. When did you leave? You said you left a month ago, so I imagine it was relatively normal when you left.
6: Yeah, we uh, we got word that there was going to be some going to be some shelter in place orders and just different things. So we looked into coming up here um, and just spending some time up here. Uh, and uh, my uh, three of my kids mom my ex-wife has a place up here so we thought just all be together with the with the kids and the families and uh, have a chance to just um, give the kids a little bit of normal life because it is tough when you live in a city you can't get out you know if you're gonna you know for me i love to run if i'm gonna run it's gonna be at 5 a.m when nobody's out and um, here at least i can get out and go for a jog in the middle of the day and i don't see many people at all so um you know but chicago is a little bit normal we're going we're actually going back home tomorrow Um, i'm a little nervous because i've had this tranquility and this peace and quiet but i also do miss my home and miss miss being there and sleeping in my own bed so i'm looking forward to that and hopefully this shelter in place order only going on about another month would be great and then we can get back to somewhat normal things although i think it's going to be a while before any of that happens
0: Okay, so talk a little bit about Major League Baseball and their plan. Right now, they they kind of sort of have a moving target plan of when they're going to play, if they're going to play, if they're going to be fans. What do you know about what Major League Baseball is going to look like if it indeed comes back anytime soon? Yeah,
6: I don't know. You know, I think you have so many moving parts that change on a daily basis, and I think that's the reality. And so to we all want to predict what's going to happen. And, and the truth is we all want baseball back probably as much as any sport, because, you know, if we look at history and things that have gone on in tough times, baseball has been that one constant provider of relief, right? Like when men went away to the war uh, in world war two, they started up a league of their own and women played baseball as a chance for people to go get away um, and, and take in a couple hours of a ball game. It's America's pastime. And um, you know, not after nine 11, you know, baseball helped bring a country back. And, you know, I went, I witnessed it firsthand with Boston, you know, we got bombed and all that stuff and then Boston strong formed and we won a world series. So it's always been this provider of relief. And now we don't even have that. And so I think baseball knows that they're trying diligently to make sure there's the right plan in place, but the unknown is, is the hardest part. What, what is it? Is it every day a guy comes in that you have a temperature check and, you know, a physical check just to make sure that they, you know, where were you yesterday? Who'd you come in contact? What'd you do? Are they allowed to be around their families? Are they playing in empty stadiums? Are you using your full staff? Are you limiting staff? Are the guys sitting in the dugouts? Are they spread out. There's so many different variables that I think they're just trying to work through to make sure that first and foremost, safety of everybody involved um, is, is the number one priority. And then after that, how do you put the best product out on the field? you know and that's a tough thing to do because people say oh we'll just play double headers every day cool man that sounds like a great idea but like when you have a bunch of ferraris or, or lamborghinis you don't ride them as hard as you can twice a day you usually take the car out for one good spin and then it's back to the auto, uh, auto shop for a tune-up and that's what these guys are they're high performance vehicles that are out there performing and if you want the best product you have to make sure you take care of them so i know that they're working hard to try and do what they can um, and hopefully. You know, as we know more with the future of of the world and, the, and of the United States and and what's what's deemed acceptable, that baseball will start up again in some shape or form.
0: So we've got word that golf's coming back without fans. Soccer's coming back in Spain and and in germany we've already got baseball back in korea with mannequins and cardboard cutouts with sponsor logos on them so the arizona plan some players have been describing it as the second worst plan but the worst plan is not playing major league baseball in 2020 which would be terrible for a lot of people specifically i think it would be terrible for for fans because we are all looking for distractions as you said what do you make of the Arizona plan and the feasibility of playing there? We know that in the Arizona area, there are a bunch of ballparks that major league teams use in the spring and, and, and finding diamonds probably isn't the toughest thing in the world, but what do you make of the Arizona plan and the feasibility of it?
6: Yeah, I think feasibility of it, you know, just given the fact that like you said, there, there's multiple facilities plus also top-notch facilities. You look at what the Cubs have at, you know, at Sloan park there and their facility world class. Same with the Diamondbacks and Rockies, same with the Dodgers and and White Sox. So you have all of these brand new top-notch facilities and you have a relatively small circle. Um, You know, if you were to do it in Florida, I think you would have to limit it to one area like Tampa or something like that, because when you start traveling around, that's where the issue becomes, right? So, uh, but I think there's bigger issues that lie. Do these guys get to be with their families? Are they, are their whole family quarantined? Can they leave the house? What do they do? Where do they go? And the minute you start opening up, you know, more interaction with more people, it just, you put more people at risk. And I think that's what, you know, something that obviously has to be discussed, but Arizona to me, if, if they are going to do no fans, uh, you know, I think it's a great place for it. I think, you know, you look at it in spring training anyways, in the Cactus League, heck man, they're, they're, they're great ballparks. They're they're top notch facilities that these guys are comfortable playing at and already know.
0: So your show, on the marquee sports network which looks like it's a lot a lot of fun it's called off the mound and i think it debuted a few days ago if i'm not mistaken you you do everything from teaching people you, you taught mike trout how to change a diaper it Looked like you did a fine job you were using a mannequin now i think it was a fake kid otherwise that kid was probably in a lot of pain the way you were changing the diaper but tell us about your new show and tell us about how teaching mike trout how to change a diaper because him and his wife jessica are expecting their first child in august
6: yeah, it actually aired yesterday for the uh, the first episode was yesterday at 5:30 um the debut show we had him and uh, Anthony Rizzo on there and um yeah, it, you know it, it's a lot of fun my my idea and especially given now um in the times we're in is to try and give people a place to come and smile for 30 minutes and laugh a little bit and and see these guys not for what they do but for who they are. Um so that maybe when we're we're, we're watching them when they get back out on the field we can appreciate them a little bit and realize that yeah, they are superstars, and we admire them for their ability to hit a baseball or, you know, strike somebody out or make a great play on defense. But at the end of the day, they're humans like us. And here's Mike Trout, him and his wife are getting ready to have a baby. And I thought, you know what, it's always important to pass leader, you know, things down as, as a leader to the younger generation and younger ball players. And um, I am definitely passing no information about how to play baseball to that guy because he's a far better baseball player than I ever was. But at least I'm a father of four. I know how to change a, a diaper or two. And um, number one rule is when your wife says, can you change the diaper? You say, yes, honey. Um, and then, two, there's a proper way to do it. And be, being having a little boy, I want to make sure he knew the things. You know, make sure that he has his pee ready to go. The last thing you want is a sprinkler in your face when you take your little boy's diaper off. And, uh-huh. um, and then, secondly, you know, the ins and outs. And, and a, like in typical Mike Trout fashion, he proved he's a natural at bat, too and changed his diaper before I even finished mine. So, man, I just there's nothing I can do to beat that guy. He's just too good at it.
0: So, yeah, so so you got schooled by Mike Trout on something that you thought you were going to school him on. So it sounds like the show's a lot of fun. And I saw something that you tweeted talking about Boston. You just mentioned Boston and Boston Strong. Take us back to that time that, again, you talk about baseball being there after tragic events and helping to unite people. And it was seven years ago, a couple of days ago, that the terrible events happened in Boston and the city responded by uniting and rising up to become Boston strong. You were there. What was that like? Yeah, it was, it was a,
6: an incredible, uh, you know, kind of enthralling experience to be around, um, you know, and, and for anybody who wants a little bit, the the video that I put out a couple of days ago on my Instagram, uh, Dempster 4646, if you, if you watch it, those are my words. I wrote that. And then uh, my good friend, Bill Curtis, um, he did the voiceover for it. And, and MLB helped me cut the video into really a, a, an emotional special piece. But, you know, here was life was great, right? We just beat the Tampa Bay Rays on the day of uh, uh, the, the marathon. Everything's good. Uh, we're on the bus celebrating, laughing at the fact that David Ortiz took David Price deep and watched it. David Price got mad. We're joking about it. And we have this police escort that would take us to the airport every time, um, all these bike cops, and all of a sudden they all just left. And, you know, this is pre-Twitter being life and, and the way to get news and, you know, social media. So we're like, where's everybody going? And then people started searching the Internet and like, whoa, we heard about this bombing and we didn't know what was going on. And that was the fastest I'd ever got on a plane and out of the city in my entire career. I mean, they were just like, let's go, let's go. We didn't know if there was going to be more bombs. There was rumors of other places and we got out and now we're on a plane and now we know nothing, right? There's no, there's no Twitter on Wi-Fi on the plane to find out Um, the captain was getting some research. And then we land in Cleveland and we went to a team dinner and what we found out, kind of what happened and um, that they were chasing these guys. And we went to this big team dinner and we said, Hey guys, like, we have a responsibility to, to help the city. And when we get back there, we're going to do that. And, and I'm going to tell you, Joey, like the whole experience was tragic and, and terrible, but it, it, to watch a city rally around us and in, tr- in return, we rallied around the city of Boston because they motivated us, the energy that they gave day in and day out to a game of baseball. Um, you know, it, it proved huge. And when we won that world series, um, you know, in the city of Boston for the first time, and who knows, I don't remember, it was like 1918 or something like that. Um, it, was, it was incredible. And to, to walk outside and see police officers in full uniform, I'm not going to name any names because I don't want to get anybody in trouble, but who cares? They were tipping back a nice cold beer together.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: And
6: because it was like, you know, here they stood up and protected their, their city, and, and we all rallied together to have this incredible special moment. And it, was, it wasn't for us. It was for a city. It was for a bunch of people and it was for people who lost family members and went through a tough time. And, um, it was incredible. The day after they caught the guy in the boat in in the water town in our clubhouse on the day of Poppy's speech, um, We had the governor, the mayor, um, tons of dignitaries. Uh, We had, you know, heads of Secret Service, uh, special forces, Navy SEALs, police officers, medics, firefighters. Our, Our entire locker room was packed shoulder to shoulder. It was the most powerful thing I'd ever felt in my life. You want to talk about feeling unstoppable? And I looked over at Johnny Gomes, and Johnny Gomes just said, I know, right, Ryan? We can't lose. Look, look around. It's impossible for us to lose this year. And that was really the feeling we had. We felt like we had the support of everybody. And it was just an amazing, amazing season.
0: So you were born in Canada. You are born in, in BC. Tell us about growing up in Canada and who you looked up to as a baseball player and how you went from growing up in Canada and making it to the major leagues.
6: Yeah, I, I grew up in a little town outside of Vancouver called Gibson's. Uh, the Sunshine Coast is a 40-minute ferry ride from Uh, from there over to the mainland. And then, you know, we got another half hour drive into the city. So I grew up just taking the ferry over to go play baseball once I was 15 and latched onto some teams over there and was able to get on a really good program with a good coach there. Dave Empey coached me. And, um, and then it just, it started happening. I was getting noticed by colleges and then scouts started coming and then got drafted and, and signed. And, you know, it was something I always wanted to do. I grew up just adoring Nolan Ryan. I thought, I mean, that man was my idol. And, you know, he was Paul Bunyan-esque out on the field and his no hitters and striking everybody out and beating up Robin Ventura when he charged the mound. I just was like, this guy's the greatest. And, you know, I love the Mariners and the Blue Jays. You know, I can still remember being at Simon Fraser University when uh, Joe Carter hit that walk-off and, and, uh, you know, just so many special moments. And I just loved the game and I loved it and I loved it loved playing it. And just had this feeling that I could do it and, I had people who were brutally honest with me of the work it was going to take, and I was willing to put the work in. And then, um, you know, got drafted by the Texas Rangers and signed. And um, and then the next spring training, I'm you know 18 years old and I'm at Port Charlotte, Florida, and I walk around the corner. i just finished having our lunch after our workout, and I come around the corner, and who's standing there? Nolan Ryan. And I was like, whoa, this like aura, this glow behind him. You know, he's like seven foot nine. I was just like, "Oh my god, it's my hero in front of me and he was just the most gracious gentleman like, "Son, you work hard, keep working hard and everything's going to be just fine. Good luck." And I just was like, "Wow, man." Like it was it was really really special and um yeah, and then, you know, to be able to live out my dream for, you know, 20 years playing professional baseball, 16 years in the big leagues and I said I didn't have to work work a day in my life for for all that time and how how fortunate and blessed I was to put a uniform on and Um, you know, I I don't, I don't forget that for a second. And, you know, when you get done playing, they just play another game the next day. And, uh, and I, I realized how, what an honor it was to, to be able to be a major league baseball player for all those years.
0: Ryan, before we let you go, and we appreciate you being on the show, can you tell us what would, what kind of advice does Harry Carey have for our listeners in terms of doing all the things we need to do right now to be safe? and to make sure that we get through this properly
3: well you know joey i gotta tell you it's a tough time right now As somebody who likes to interact with the fans whether that's you know having a shot at a bar or chugging a beer or just telling a baseball story to be 60 feet six inches away from everybody is is something I, i guess only a starting pitcher could relate with but uh I think it's important we listen to the professionals. I should have listened to a few professionals in my day, but um, it's, in, it's important we do that, and we'll get on the other side of this curve. We'll flatten it out like Ernie Banks used to do back in the day, and uh, we'll get back to playing baseball, a game that we all love. I don't know when it's going to be, but it's going to happen. It's going to be a, a special day when we hear that umpire yell, play ball, and we can all have a hot dog and ice cold beer back at Wrigley Field.
0: <laughs> Ryan thanks a lot for doing this Bell, enjoy Lake Geneva and we'll talk to you soon okay uh, you got
6: it Joe always great talking with you and just so you know I do have a new uh, a new set of hockey gloves that I wear now when I skate so oh yeah um, that, well, we'll we gotta to tell that story
0: we, we, we gotta tell that story real quick when I first met Ryan Dempster he comes out on the ice we're playing hockey in Los Angeles the so a Monday night skate the CAA hockey skate that Pat Brisson runs and, and so how did you end up coming to the skate who did you know
6: uh, Craig Landis, my agent, was uh, was connected with Pat and Jimmy Nice and then so they invited me out to, to come to the skate and uh, I had most of my gear. I think I had a Sears catalog around each shin for my shin pads and um, unfortunately I was lacking gloves um, and uh, and then I found out later on that that's a bad idea to play um, ice hockey without any gloves on, um, especially against some of those guys with their shenanigans out there the way they cross check in front of the net and then... Uh, I learned quickly after that that um, even with a good pair of beautiful Warrior or Bauer or CCM gloves, they still have hands of stone out there, so it doesn't really matter.
0: I, I said to, when you skated out, I said to Jimmy Nice, who works with CAA Hockey, I said, who is this guy? He goes, oh, it's Ryan Dempster. He's a pitcher. He said, he's not too bright. If he's a pitcher, he makes his living with his hands, and he's playing hockey with no gloves on. What's wrong with this guy? He goes, yeah, he's nuts. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. That's crazy to think, man. That's 20 20 years ago
6: we met, and here we are talking life and baseball, and uh, I'm happy that we still have our friendship, man.
0: All right, my man. Thanks a lot for doing this. My best to your family. Enjoy Lake Geneva, and we'll talk to you soon, okay? You got it, Joe. Thanks, man. All right. Ryan Dempster, always a pleasure to have him on the show. Pitched many years in the major leagues, won the World Series in 2013, another fine Canadian, part of the Hall of Fame. We'll take the break. We'll come back. And we'll discuss an athlete that is going to be drafted. This athlete will be drafted on Thursday as part of the NFL draft. But the story on how the athlete got to where he is has to be heard to be believed. We'll discuss when we return on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, we are still taking your texts at 590 590 Would you go to an event without a vaccine, a live event, sporting event, concert, or otherwise? I was supposed to go to Toronto for a bad religion concert this week. I'd go to that concert tonight and probably even chance it and go into the mosh pit. You only live once. Corey from Niagara Falls. I'm with Mike. Let's go. Thumbless Eric. Bob in Burnaby, British Columbia, says... I would assume unless there's a vaccine, we would all have to wear masks at live sporting events. How would I safely drink my beer? Which is really the question I ask all the time. How would I safely drink my beer? We're going to take some more of your texts, and we'll talk a little bit about Dustin Bufflin, who reached a settlement, I guess. They both walked away, and he didn't get paid, and he's no longer with the Winnipeg Jets. Doesn't sound like he wants to play hockey, unless he just hated it there so much. But it doesn't sound like he wants to play hockey. So we'll get into that in the next segment before the show ends. And we're joined now, and thank you very much for doing this, by Elizabeth Merrill, ESPN writer, at Merrill Liz on Twitter. Elizabeth, thank you very much for doing this. How are you today?
7: Oh, I'm doing all right. How are you?
0: I'm hanging in there. How is your current environment? Where are you? What's going on around you? Have you been out recently? How are you handling all of this?
7: So, you know, it's probably a little different than what uh, a lot of people are facing, including, you know, yourself. I I live in the Midwest, so we actually don't have a stay-at-home order here, but it's, it's kind of a semantics thing. It's very similar in that You know, with the social distancing, most places are closed. You know, uh, no more than like ten people in a group. But so it's a little, but it's yeah, it's it's horrible, just like everywhere else. You know, and just watching TV and just looking at some of the things that are going on, you never thought would go on in America. You know, the food lines and everything. It's it's just so sad and sobering. And yeah, we're all trying. Just like you, we're all trying to figure out from our jobs how to. How to do our jobs the best we can, and and you know inform and and still entertain people and give them some kind of outlet, and it's been challenging, but you know nothing compared to what a lot of other people are going through, obviously.
0: So you wrote this story on ESPN.com, and the NFL Draft is on Thursday, and you've you've written a story on a young wide receiver by the name of Jerry Judy, and and coincidentally enough we had his agent lee steinberg on in the first segment yeah. of the program and and lee said that jerry judy is one of the most if not the most precise route runner he has ever seen and judy looks like out of the 60 receivers he's going to probably go first and the the star that this guy became at alabama almost didn't happen because of the tragedy in his life. Tell us the story of Jerry Judy.
7: So Jerry actually didn't start playing football until he was in like junior high, which is pretty unusual. Um, his, his mom, uh, he was raised by his mom. He was a pretty small kid, skinny kid, and she was pretty overprotective and also kind of came from a strict Haitian background where it's like school, family, religion, And, you know, he was sneaking out when she was at work. And so, eventually, she was just like, okay, you know, do it if it makes you happy. But, you know, he was playing football. So, he's from South Florida. So, he was playing football with the likes of, like, Lamar Jackson and, and, you know, Calvin Ridley. Uh, And so, he, you know, around this time, uh, his mom had uh, a daughter. And Jerry was very close to his sister, but she was... She was born with uh, trisomy 18, which uh, uh, is a uh, it, it causes you know it's uh, it has to do with uh, chromosomes uh, and it causes them to basically have to eat out of a tube um, and and breathe out of a tube and it's a very rare disease but the life expectancy for most uh, children, uh, infants that, you know, there's like a 10% chance that you survive to your first birthday. And she beat the odds. The family was, had a very positive outlook about her and, um, you know, it was a really challenging childhood uh, for everyone in the family, for Jerry and, and his older siblings. And, and of course for Aaliyah who struggled a lot, but, you know, was a happy child and, And she, you know, lived to be – they had to have round-the-clock nurses for her. Um, The family was very, you know, not well off. And and then Aaliyah passed away when she was seven. Jerry found out at the end of his uh, playoff football game senior year. So it was pretty devastating to him and his family. But it really motivated him to, to like, with all the adversity that she went through, it motivated him to sort of – to, to make it in football and the NFL for her and for his mom, who he's really close to.
0: And look, this is a different situation because the draft is virtual this year. And yeah. it's a charity event, right? And th- this is the opportunity where uh, someone like Jerry Judy would probably have been at the draft and who knows, maybe he would be having the party at home because I know his mom's going to cook the Haitian food and they're going to have all the people over anyway. But, you know, his parents got divorced when when he was young and he became kind of, as you say in the story, his mom's a little right hand man. His his mother, Marie, came from Haiti to the US when she was just fourteen. And she would take the kids back there as a as a kind of humbling experience, I guess, to show them never forget where where you came from. But Judy is a guy who says, like a lot of athletes, Mom, someday I'm gonna buy you a house. And it looks like based yeah. on where he's gonna go in the NFL draft, he's gonna be able to do that real soon.
7: Yeah, he, it does. He said that he used to say that to her before he even played football and he didn't even know that you could even go to college playing football until he, you know, he was in high school. So he just thought he didn't know how he was going to get there, but he was going to get there to do that for his mom. You know, his success, uh, he, look, he's super gifted, but like one of the things that makes him so successful is he's just such a, he studies like every receiver he can get his hands on video for. And you know he learned how to juke uh, from Lamar and he's just got these crazy moves. Uh, he, you're right. His route running is elite. Uh, his hands are, are obviously elite and he, he is he's very versatile. He, there's like three receivers. It, if you look at a lot of um, a lot of the draft analyst uh, draft boards, um, most of them, a lot of them have Judy. Uh, some of them have C.D. Lamb from Oklahoma. He's a big yards after catch guy. And then uh Henry Ruggs, he's a teammate of Judy's at Alabama. So all three of these guys came out as juniors too. So he's somebody who's mentioned there too. But yeah, uh, you know, I think that Lee is is accurate. That Jerry's kind of the one who's being mentioned the most as being the first guy off the board. But you know. Uh, Mel Kiper Jr. I think it was his last one. I don't know if he's had another one, his another mock come out in the next couple of, last day or so. But like he had seven receivers going in the first round, so that just goes to show you how much talent there is. It, it kind of makes you wonder if all that talent is going to drop some guys down the board, you know, where they're going to go in later rounds because teams are going to want to fill other needs first, and they're going to be like, hey, because I, I, you know, there are a ton. You're, like you said. There are like sixty plus receivers who receive draft grades, which means like you know some people think that like sixty some guys can go in one of the seven rounds, which is incredible um there's like a twenty some people are saying that twenty could go in the first hundred picks uh so that's yeah it's that's pretty it's an exceptional year for that
0: well it, it wasn't it wasn't like he just walked on to, to Alabama and all of a sudden was a guy who, you know, got got treated like a superstar. He kind of had to work for so, it, right? Nick, Nick Saban didn't he, just hand him anything, right?
7: Yeah. And, see, that's what he told me that, like, obviously he was recruited by everybody. And the thing that, like, appealed to him besides the fact that he wanted to win a national championship was the fact that Saban was the only coach who was, wasn't promising him that he'd start his freshman year. He said, you know, if you'll have a chance to play. And that really appealed to Jerry because, you know, he wanted to work for everything. He didn't want, you know, to be guaranteed everything. Now, maybe his freshman year, he's like, what was I doing? Because, yeah, he wasn't uh, getting to play like he wanted to. Uh, his opportunities were limited. You know, Calvin Ridley was there. And he was the superstar. He also left his junior year. So Calvin was a junior that year. But you know, look at that recruiting class. Uh, Ruggs was in that class. Um, Devonte Smith. Uh, th- there was th- there was uh, a very that was a very strong class. All these guys were playing, and it's besides amassing a giant amount of talent uh, in quarter at quarterback and so many other positions. Alabama. I mean, look at that look at the receivers they keep kicking out. It's it's quite, uh, it's astonishing. So the fact that Jerry was able to put up the numbers he did sophomore and junior year is is pretty compelling too, just because, you know, there were a lot of really talented receivers who were also vying for those touches.
0: At Merrill Liz, you can find her on Twitter. It's Joey Vendetta here on the Joey Vendetta Show. We're going to wrap up real quick. Tell me what you think, the draft is going to look like this Thursday, this virtual NFL draft?
7: I think it's going to be really interesting because if you think about it, what there's so many different aspects. You know, you always picture these guys are in the war room. I mean, what about trades, like draft trades? How are you going to – I suppose you go in thinking you're going to, like, you know, move around, you know. I, I was reading something Mike Reese, my colleague, wrote about how – you know, the Patriots are always so trade happy on, on draft day. Or How are they going to do that when they're not in the room together? Because, you know, there's so many moving parts. And, you know, team, sure, you still got – I can't imagine something like this. I mean, you couldn't do the draft. Like, you know, you probably couldn't – it wouldn't be a virtual draft like 30 years ago, obviously, but you couldn't have a draft probably 30 years ago under these conditions. But there's just so many things at play. You know, the WNBA, like, their draft, it sounds like last night was pretty seamless, but, like, with the NFL, you've just got so many different things going on. It'll be... And then what about the technical stuff? You've got to think that there's going to be technical issues. Uh, It's... You know, I've covered the NFL draft in New York before, and it was kind of cool to do, but, you know, you really don't need to be there as a reporter, and there isn't, like... Most of the stuff is going on in other places anyway, so I get that, you know, I get that it's not going to be, like, vastly different in that aspect, but not being able to have everybody in one room, that's the problem. Uh, It's almost like you you wonder, well, couldn't they put them in, like, a giant, like, you know, gymnasium or something, (laughs) and this is probably... You know what I mean? But, like, have them socially distanced, because there will be problems, but... I think everybody is just so starved to watch something to give you a sense of like, you know, normalcy that like, I mean, that's the thing that everybody's been so fascinated with is the draft. because it seems like the only thing that's been going on that seems semi-normal. So I think it'll be very well, uh, like everybody's going to be watching it and it's, it's much needed right now.
0: Yeah, it'll definitely be uh, – it's made for television in the strictest sense uh, of the word. Thank you very much for doing this, Elizabeth. We greatly appreciate it, and take care of yourself, and hopefully we'll get a Thank chance you. to talk to you soon. It's Vendetta. We're going to take yeah, the perfect.
1: break.
0: Yeah, we're definitely going to try to do that. We're going to take the break here, and we're going to come back and finish off the program here on the Joey Vendetta Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. The final segment of the Joey Vendetta Show here on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Vancouver on
0: 650, 960 in Calgary, and 590 here in Toronto, and of course on the Radio Player app. You can also subscribe to the podcast. Wherever it is, you may get your podcasts. Subscribe and rate, it would be greatly appreciated. If you didn't hear the show, We've had some fine guests on today, including Paul Bizanet, who's the host of the Spit and Chicklets podcast. Jay Grossman runs the Puck Agency. Lee Steinberg, one of the top agents in the history of pro sports. Patrick Mahomes, one of his many clients. He has Tua Tagovailoa, who'll probably go in the first five picks in the draft on Thursday, the NFL draft. Ryan Dempster, former major league pitcher. And Mary Depauli talking about the Canadian Open. She runs marketing for RBC. And our guest, Elizabeth Merrill from ESPN as well. But we're going to end off the show here with your texts. And maybe even your tweets at Radio Vendetta. The question is, it's a simple one. Would you indeed go to a sporting event without a vaccine? We don't know when there's going to be a vaccine. We do know that Spain is going to be holding soccer matches in empty venues, at least until the end of the summer. This is according to the mayor of Madrid. He said that today. He said the coronavirus pandemic won't be under control by the end of the summer, so there will be no crowds. It makes complete sense. We know that there's baseball in Korea. We know there's going to be golf in North America. PGA Tour events are going to be happening again. And we do know there will not be fans. It just makes no sense to risk anyone's safety under the c- current circumstances. We've gone this far. So we'll go to Rocky. In Toronto, he says, hell no, I would not go to an event. I'm dying to go and see my Leafs or the world champion Raptors. But I would not risk my mother and father's life, my sister and her four kids. One has heart problems and just had a heart pacemaker put in at the age of 14. Just before all this started, I was so scared about the surgery but was so happy that she got it before all this happened. Something very wrong could happen, so I pray that we all get back to see our favorite players, but we need to think of the lives of family members and strangers. Good luck. I would love to see a game happen someday in the very near future. Jordan and Mississauga. Love the show. Always a fan. Not sure what it's going to look like when we do get back to action, but I do know one thing. I can't wait to yell Let's go and high-five the first willing participant. I would happily go to an event. John in Vancouver says, won't be taking a vaccine ever anyway. So he's an anti-vaxxer, it sounds like. Rick in Bright's Grove says, Joey, thanks for being a positive voice. That interview with Dempster, solid and forthcoming. As a former music journalist, I believe I'd be going crazy right now. Keep it up. And Chris in Calgary Has a pretty interesting take here. He said, we had a team of multinational hockey players from Dubai and Abu Dhabi travel to Singapore for a tournament. It was a fun trip and included two AD doctors on the team. We got to our hotel around one on the Wednesday night. So it was one o'clock Wednesday night, Thursday morning. By the time I got up on Thursday morning, I felt pretty bad. By the time I got on the plane back to Dubai... The boys had to help me on the plane. I was so ill, I didn't make it to work for two weeks. Found out later I had SARS. So everybody take this seriously. And he says he was pretty fit at the time. So what we're asking you is if you'd go to an event. And it sounds like it's fairly split. But I do know one thing. We're in no position to go to any events right now. And whatever happens, how this unfolds, it's going to happen gradually. It's going to continue to be virtual. There's going to continue to be distancing. There's going to continue to be measures put in place. And if you look at the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, he's saying there's not going to be any events this year possibly. But that could change. As things change, people's plans change. You know how you say that the best laid plans of mice and men? Well, maybe it should be people and and mice. But anyway, I digress. I want to turn our attention to switch gears a little bit here before we wrap up the program. Dustin Bufflin, who played for years on the Winnipeg Jets, of course played for the Chicago Blackhawks as well, but was fierce, was a force on the blue line. Started off as a forward, if you'll recall. Ended up becoming a defenseman. And that's where, as the saying goes, he made his bones. Dustin Bufflin is no longer part of the Winnipeg Jets after a long, drawn-out, somewhat acrimonious ending. Now, Dustin Bufflin left about $14 bucks on the table. When you've made as much money as Dustin Bufflin made, you're probably not that. $14 is a lot for anybody. Don't get me wrong. That's a lot of pizza. That's a lot of track pants, which are two things that I've consumed a ton of during this stay-at-home-and-shelter-in-place order that I've been under. It didn't say eat everything in place. It said shelter-in-place, but I mistook it. So so Bufflin basically walked away. The deal was finalized on Friday, and it was a divorce. It was long. It went on forever. It dragged out but he had a grievance as well, right? Now, this is a guy who loves ice fishing. He's got his, his beer, and he's a, he fit into Winnipeg because it was like he, even though he's American, it was like he was from Winnipeg. He acted like he was from Winnipeg. He enjoyed the outdoors. He enjoyed having some barley water, but he definitely acted like a guy who was from Winnipeg, and he hasn't spoken to reporters since last season. There's been no hindsight in his thinking. Why a guy at 6'5", who used to ra- he ragdoll a couple of guys, right? He, he would ragdoll, I think it was the the Vegas Golden Knights where he all a couple of guys at the same time on that team. I think it was Colin Miller and, and Tomas Nosek during the 2018 Western Conference Final. But he played it on his own terms, right? And he left the game on his own terms. And I don't know why he left the game. You know, he had ankle surgery and he didn't consult the Jets and their front offense. And he and he filed a grievance with the NHL Players Association. And some people will say he was selfish because he could have let them know. And they could have handled things differently and perhaps replaced him. And his salary wouldn't have counted against the Cap. The Jets had to set aside seven and a half million dollars on a cap hit, in case he decided to return or won that grievance. And you can't coulda, woulda, shoulda yourself, but Dustin Bufflin was a huge piece of that team, and Dustin Bufflin leaving definitely hurt the team. The question is, does he play again in the NHL? I know Leaf fans are salivating already if there is indeed a season in any way, shape, or form. How would Dustin Bufflin look on the Leaf Blue Line? How would he look on the Canucks Blue Line or Calgary? He'd look great on anybody's Blue Line. But realistically, where else could he play? Well, Florida. Dale Talon's there, who Dustin Bufflin knows well. Maybe Nashville. Maybe Washington. But I don't know if Dustin Bufflin wants to play hockey again. I legitimately have no idea. And I don't think Dustin Bufflin really knows. Or maybe he does. And he just doesn't want to tell us. Because in this world that we live in now, what we used to think was important isn't as important as it once was, is it? Maybe it's changed. Maybe the priorities in your life have changed. Maybe it's not as important to be rich, famous, and successful as it once was. Sure, Everybody likes money, and especially right now, there are a ton of people without it. We know the food banks are lined up. We know the unemployment checks are going out. The social assistance checks are going out. And people are asking for help. But maybe, just maybe, as a society, we're going to look at things the way Dustin Bufflin does and that it's okay to walk away from something that other people think matters and that maybe you don't think matters as much as it once did to you. Oh, sure, you might still love the game in its purest form, but maybe the business and the grind and all the politics and the adulation got to you because it does to some people. A special thanks to our producers, Mark Boffo, Andrew Holland, and Josh Santos. And more importantly, a special thanks to you. Take care of yourself. Be safe. Take care of each other. It's Joey Vendetta. I'll catch you next week. And don't forget, download the podcast. You can find it on all your favorite podcast platforms. Thanks very much for listening.